if you will, find your way to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're looking at verses 26 through 39. Now, normally I would have several points as we walk through a text of Scripture, but I'm just going to walk through this bit by bit, exegeting each uh, section. I don't really have a point to that. Uh, I have a point to my sermon, but I don't have points to the sermon. Okay? Uh, That sounded very negative, didn't it? I don't have a point to this sermon. I do have a point. The point is, is that Jesus is greater than our desire to sin. That's the point of this sermon. And um, Paul has written, as we looked at last week, he tells us three things that we need to do. Let us do this. And if you look back up, if you have your copy of God's Word open as way of introduction, I'm just going to give you some oversight from last week because it pours right over into what we're looking at today because it's vitally important for us to understand that we have got a placement before God the Father. So we don't need to be slipping back into sin and willfully sinning against the holy God who has saved us by His grace. And we do not need to fall back into sinful practices. And he tells us this right here in this text. And as way of introduction, wow, I got kind of loud there, didn't I? As way of introduction, let's look at the things that we should do that will help us in not sinning willfully. Okay, look back up there into verse 22. And it's because we've got a high priest, what should we do? Verse 22 tells us of chapter 10. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That means there we can draw close to God with a pure heart. We don't have to worry about sin uh, because we're choosing uh, sanctification over sinfulness. We're choosing the Savior over self. And so we've got a pure heart and we're drawing near to God. And we're able to do that. Why is that? Because God's own Son spilled His blood. It's been sprinkled on our hearts. And so we can come with righteousness and holiness before the Lord God, our Savior. Secondly, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. At times we seem like people who have forgotten the confession that we made. We have forgotten what we did when we came down front many years ago or maybe just last week for some and and others who have come forward and said, I place my faith in Jesus Christ for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the gift of God in Jesus. And people have come down here and you've held fast. You've not forgotten what you did Some of you not long ago, some of you a little while ago, some of you a long time ago, okay? And you've not forgotten it. It's still on your heart. It's still on your mind. So draw near and let us hold fast to that confession that you made. And then if you are drawing near to God, if you're holding fast that confession, this is the next thing you can do with that. Let us consider one another to stir them up in love and good works. When you've got a true heart, when you're holding on to your confession, you've got a place to stand when you say, hey, brother, sister in Christ, you're you're making poor choices in your life. I want you to come along. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I am. But let us walk along together and grow and be close and draw near and hold fast for our confession together. 
in the love of Christ. For God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So let us hold fast to that confession. And let us consider one another in love. And let's stir up those good works. Because I want to tell you, if you're busy doing things for God, you won't be doing busy things for the devil. You won't be doing busy things. You won't be doing things for yourself. You'll be doing things for God. But if you find everything else under the sun to get yourself occupied with other than Jesus, trust me, losing your confession of faith, letting it slip through your fingers. Remember, I made that quote last week. And yet again, I've got my preaching Bible up here, but my little blue Bible's right down there. It's got that quote about everything I placed in God's hands has never left, but everything I placed in my hands has slipped right through. We've got to hold fast to that. We can stir them up to good works because we don't need to. What happens is this. We start to lose our confession. We begin to stay far from God when we forsake the gathering together. It's just easy, right? Some of you, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe, maybe you've been sick. Maybe you've had a family member you've had to care for. Something that's coming up in your life and you've, you've not been able to make it back to church. And, and you desire it. You desire it. But then it gets to this point to where, like, you know what? I've already got things scheduled on this date. You know what I mean? Like, now I've got things, you know, I'm feeling that time that once was for Christ, that once was for his church, that once was for me to serve in some capacity within his church. Now it's just, you know what? If I make it, I make it. And it's hard to get back into that. Don't, I'm not trying to say that it's, it's hard. I mean, anytime we start planning things and start putting things in the place of the church, we start ending up uh, having a hard time putting Christ back into our schedules, into our lives. And he says all that, not forsaking themselves of our together, as is the manner of some. We know there's some that do this, right? You know, I mean, we, we know this, right? I'm not trying to point any fingers, but we know this, right? But we need to exhort one another. It doesn't mean we need to chastise them. We need to exhort them. That's the Bible word of encouraging. Encourage them. And so much more, because we know Christ is coming back. We want people prepped and prepared. We want people in the church getting equipped, getting discipled, being built up, understanding and experiencing the love of Christ through their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, doing good works for, the, for, for Christ, and then uh, holding fast, remembering what that confession was that you made back years ago. And then also, by all those things together, you're drawing close to God. Well, there's my sermon last week in about five, ten minutes. <laughs> Y'all are like, why couldn't you do this last week? Anyway, so let's move on to our verses for this week. Verse, beginning there in verse 26. That was by way of introduction. Now, um, in my Bible, the subtitle is The Just Shall Live by Faith. If your faith is weak, you're going to have a weak walk with Christ. If your faith is strong, you're going to have a strong walk with Christ. We need to be building that faith up. We need to work out our, work out our salvation with true... Uh, Fear and trembling is what Scripture tells us we need to do. We need to work it out. All of us in this room have muscles, some bigger than others, right? You know why? Because we work those out, right? That's how that works. All of us have faith to some extent, but how are we working it out? Are we building it up? Are, are we just letting it be weak? You know, um, we've got to exercise in, in physically to get our muscles bigger. We've got to exercise our faith bigger uh, we got to exercise our faith in Christ so that our dependence on him becomes bigger. We need to do that. So let's look at the verses here before I get too far. Verses 26 and 27, I've kind of lumped together in my notes, so let's read those two to begin with. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful, a certain 
fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Now listen, people who proclaim to know Christ, there's never any fruit, there's never any drawing near, there's never any faithful attendance, there's never any of this. Listen, you can claim that you're a person that has come to Christ. Listen, if there's no fruit, listen, I'm, I'm, not, the, I'm not your heart judge. I'm not going to say whether you go to heaven or hell. I'm not going to say that. But the Bible tells us, as believers in Jesus Christ, you can see the fruit of one's life. Okay? If I walk out to several different trees, and there's an apple on a tree, I can, I can come to a pretty clear conclusion, that's an apple tree. Right? Because the fruit that it bears, bears what type of fruit, what kind of tree it is. If we're not bearing any fruit, then what kind of tree are we? Nobody knows. And what's the value of our faith if there's no fruit to be born? There's got to be fruit on the tree of the believer. So as we look at this text, we need to be living in a way that brings uh, glory to God and people can know the, who we are. We are not the adversaries of Christ. We are those who are in the life of Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, that fruit of that Holy Spirit is appearing in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as it tells us in Galatians chapter 5. But more than that, more than just experiencing and having the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we need to be telling somebody about Jesus. We've got to be telling somebody about Jesus. Listen to what it says. If we sin willfully, that's deliberately sinning. That one translation, I don't know what kind of translation you have, but one translation says, for if we deliberately sin after we have received the knowledge of truth, this is, uh, this is a head knowledge but no heart belief. I've said this, I've had a pastor say this, many people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Because there's, for most people, there's about 18 inches from the head to the heart. Because they got it all up here, but they ain't got none of it right here. They don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you'd live it. People are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Because they're sinning willfully. After they've received the knowledge of truth. And there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. For that apostate person. They think they've made some decision. They're living nothing like Christ. Everything that comes from their mouth is neither, is, is neither glorifying or of God. And, and uh, it's, it's neither edifying to the church. There's nothing in it valuable. That's the person who sins willfully against God. And that person, you know what they receive? Uh, they may have received a knowledge of the truth, but they've not received the salvation of Jesus Christ or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But what they have received is a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Now, why is it that these folks who have received the knowledge of truth, why is it that they've got these things, this expectation, certain fearful expectation of judgment, and this fiery indignation, this certain fearful expectation of a fiery indignation? Why do they receive that? Because they know that's what comes to those who refuse the Holy Spirit. The adversaries of God are those who have heard the call of Christ. They've heard it. As I've talked about in a previous sermon, you may have experienced the Holy Spirit because someone in the room has received Christ. Someone in the room has been saved by the grace of God. And you happen to be in the room. You saw it. You can say, I experienced it. But you don't know it. You don't know it. 
You know, I can experience a lot of things. I can go to Six Flags. I can experience Six Flags. But you know what? I really don't know Six Flags. You know why? Because I ain't worked there. I don't work behind the scenes. I can't tell you all the intricate parts about how the, how the cart gets up the hill and then goes around the hill and how the, all this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I can, I, can, I can experience it, but I don't know it. I didn't build it. I didn't create it. Listen, we can experience God, but do we know Him? Do we know Jesus? How do you know Him? You've got to get in His Word. You've got to know Jesus. You need to know Him. Because when you get in here, and what, what the author's writing about here is these folks have known it. It's like they've attended church their whole life, and they know what is coming to those who have refused and turned away from God. And they say, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to sin willfully, deliberately sin, do whatever I want to do. Look here in verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy. And he dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Listen, this is because it's all on faith. It's all on faith. Even in the Old Testament, it says they were saved by faith. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans. He left, he left there on faith that God was going to take him to another land. He placed his faith in God. When God told Moses to place the, uh, the blood on the doorpost, in faith, Moses placed the blood on the doorpost so the death angel would pass over and not kill the firstborn of all of them. It was by faith that they were saved. It was by faith that they crossed through the, through the sea so they'd get to the other side and the Egyptians were flooded and killed. It's by faith that they are saved. It's no different today. It's by faith that you are saved. It's by faith. And see, this scripture, it's, it's a, it comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 through 7, where it's talking about this testimony of two or three witnesses. In verses 2 through 7, it says, If there is found among you within, uh, with any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, a man or woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God and transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded. And it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil thing from among you. Listen, we have got to put away this deliberate sin from among us. We've got to put it away from us. You've got to cast that away from you. You and I both, we know what sin is. Many of us, we've been in church for a long time. We know what sin is. It's clearly defined. Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through. We have got to clearly put that away from us. And the author, this writing here in Hebrews, he knows, he knows he's writing to those who understand the Old Testament law. He knows he's writing to those that understand this. Look there in verse 29 through 31. 29 through 31. The author writes this, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, 
counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, the author of Hebrews, he says, do you suppose? So what he's trying to tell you to do is this. Think on this for a minute. Think upon this. Do you suppose? Think on this for just a minute. How much worse is the punishment going to be for, for he... Will he be thought worthy who trampled the Son of God underfoot? One commentator said, this is like the wounding of love. God's love is being wounded by you. The awfulness of sin now does not lay at the breaking of the law, but the trampling of the love of God underfoot. It's like, you know, I quoted Romans 5.8 earlier in the service. For God demonstrated his own love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's like you just want to take that verse out right there and go, it don't matter. It don't matter. What's the love of Christ? I'm going to do what I want to do. Because I am the ruler of my life. I'm going to tell you something. Someone who has that attitude, there ain't no lordship. There's no lordship of Jesus in that life. You may have thought you accepted him as savior, which is not biblical. But you did not confess him as lord of your life. He has to be lord first before he saves you. Romans 10, 9 to 10. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you shall be saved. He becomes a savior once you confess him as Lord. You don't accept him as Lord. I don't got to accept him as anything. He is who he is. I am the I am, God says. I don't have to accept him. I have to confess him. And so many people walk through churches all their lives on an acceptance of Jesus as Savior. You've read the Bible. You've got a head knowledge. How about this? Confess Him as Lord. Let's see where you go with that now. Because now you're not on the throne of your heart. He is. He is the filter by which all things are run through now. Not through your own. Not through your past experiences. Not through your pleasures and hopes for the future. As He is Lord of your life, you run it to pass the Lord of your life. Is this okay? Is this acceptable? Is this pleasing unto you? Not is this pleasing unto me because I can do anything I want to do if I am the Lord of my life. We've got to be careful. The Bible does not put Savior before Lord ever. Savior follows the Lord. Savior follows the Lord. Who trampled the Son of God underfoot. Look at the next part. Part of what we're going to be thinking about today when we observe the Lord's Supper. Will he be thought worthy who counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? Think about a common thing for just a minute. Let's just, let's just contemplate that for just a minute. What are some common things around your house? You misplace it? No big deal. I'll just go buy another. 
But if it's a unique, special thing, oh, goodness, you're going to take it to a mechanic to get that thing fixed. You know what I'm saying? You're going to buy a part. You're going to fix it. Think about my push more of the day. That's expensive investment. I had to buy a carburetor to replace that thing. Now, granted, you know, a lawnmower is not a common thing. Most of us only own one. If you own more than one, you might be trying to fix one with the other. I'm giving you a little grace on that one. But if you own three or four, man, you're, 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 you're doing pretty good or either you got a bunch of junk in your yard. <laughs> right? Now, I've got two lawnmowers. I'm just being honest with you. I've got two lawnmowers. I've got one in my outside building that don't run. Okay? It really broke my heart when that thing didn't run no more. I had to go spend a lot of money on it because I had to go buy another one. I couldn't figure out how to get it to work. Maybe if I was smarter, I could have bought a carburetor for it. But I bought a carburetor for this one because it's, it's special. It's not a common thing. See, this is the thing. The blood of Jesus, this, he's saying this, this apostate person who just sins willfully, who probably isn't, they, they, they just have a head knowledge of him. They've counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. It's just a common thing. It's, it's not special. It's nothing worth me carving out any time out of my schedule for. It's not worth me spending time in the Word of God for. It's not worth me choosing not to do this to do this so that I can be more like Christ for. One commentator said, look at what's been done for you. Look at the blood, the broken body. Why do you treat it as if it doesn't matter? This is sacred. It's sacred. And then... How much worse punishment will he be thought worthy who has insulted the spirit of grace? And that is to disregard the voice of the Holy Spirit when he speaks uh, for our counseling is to insult the Holy Spirit and grieve the heart of God. The Holy Spirit, we know. You know, we're going to sin. And sometimes we sin, but I'm, this is talking about deliberate sinning willfully. Like, you know what? I'm just going to choose to do this and it doesn't matter. Sometimes, you, sometimes it just... Sin can sneak up on you. It's crouching at your door, just like God told Cain in the Old Testament. It's crouching at your door. He had a warning, and then he deliberately did what he did. But God says, God gives us warning. Where God spoke to them directly, he speaks to us directly through the Holy Spirit today. So he gives us that same type of warning. Look, sin's crouching at your door. But you grieve and you insult the Holy Spirit. You say, you know what? That sin's not that strong. Trust me, sin is strong. Sin is strong. It's crouching at your door. Look at verse 30 and 31. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. We find that quote, that vengeance is mine, I will repay. It is taken from Deuteronomy 32, 35, and 36. But I want you to understand this. He will defend, God will defend, but he ain't going to put up with it. He's going to defend those that are his because vengeance is mine. He's going to come back and defend those that are his. But God ain't going to put up for willful sinning. God ain't going to tolerate that. Somewhere along the way, something's going to happen. Things are going to happen. God's going to bring punishment upon us one way or another. Uh, of how much worse punishment. How much worse punishment. God's going to bring that, bring that back. And I want to tell you this. I don't want to be the person who is deliberately sinning. And I know I've done it in my past. I've done that before. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, as your pastor, I ain't deliberately sinned before because I have. I know I have. But I want you to know this. It's because of this verse right here, a lot of times it brings us back to a realization. And that's verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
And that's who we serve. Not a dead God, not a false God. We serve a living God. I don't want anybody to fall into that. It's the reason why I preach from this pulpit every week. It's the reason why I teach like I teach. It's the reason why I prepare like I prepare. Because you know what? I don't want anybody to fall into the hands of the living God. I want you to be embraced in the arms of the living God. Not fall into the hands of it. I want it to be an expected and prepared interaction between you and the Father. One where he's waiting for you to come and he's wanting to embrace you. Just like that father was waiting on that prodigal son to come back. That's what, that's what I hope for each and every individual not to fall. An unexpected landing. I want it to be an expected, an expected relationship and interaction. Let's look at verses 32 through 35. 32 through 35. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly why you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly why you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And we'll look at the promise in just a moment. That's uh, through 36. I think I said 35, but through 36. So the author of Hebrews says, but recall the former days. You know, often a man can meet with honor the great hour of testing and of trial. And yet uh, there's the time of plain sailing that lets the time of plain sailing sap his strength and emasculate his faith. That's what Barclay says. When we get into a time of plain sailing, when things are easy, we become lax. And then sin crouches and sin comes upon us. And we don't know what to do because we've gotten lazy. We need to be, we need to be consistent and faithful in our walk with Christ because it's a constant battle. And we need to be living for Christ all the way through. A man can often meet with honor. And, uh, excuse me, often a man can meet with honor the great hour of testing and of trial if he is staying faithful. But if we get lazy and we let the times of plain sailing sap our strength and emasculate his faith, Barclay says, we will fall into willful disobedience and willful sin. But we want to recall the formal de former days in which after we were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. And he lists two ways that this guy suffered, this, these folks suffered. Now, you may think in all of this, you may thinking, man, these folks are lost. They don't know Christ. Wait till we get to the end, okay? He's telling them that there are some that this may occur to, and he's, it's a great warning. And you may say he's really just beating them down. It's kind of like I do a lot of times from this pulpit. You may think I'm beating you down. But the thing is, is at the end, I look back and I, I see the faithfulness. I see the love for Jesus. I see the love for one another. I see those things. But I got to warn you like you lost, but I got to commend you like you've been saved for a long time. Right? That's what I need to do. Because you need to know the Holy Spirit's got to speak to you to reveal to you whether you're saved or lost, not me. You only know that. I just see the fruit. But God sees the heart. Just to clarify that, okay? So Paul, I mean, the author, sometimes we think it's Paul that was the author. We don't really know. I personally think it was Silas. But 
Uh, the author writes, he says, you've endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly why you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations. That's meaning you were personally chastised by those around you for your decision to follow Christ. You made that decision. You have chosen that for yourself. And you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches, people who did not believe as you did, and temptation and tribulations, because people put you through hardships. You did that. But then, also, you partly went through a great struggle because you became companions of those who were so treated. That means you, you were doing the things of God, and you went through these reproaches and tribulations. You had these sufferings. And uh, he says, look, you've experienced these things. So, like, when I think of these things like this, I think a lot about our students and our children. For students and young adults as well, those in college, you know, we think about these things. This is a common problem. And even to older, repentant, regenerated souls that um, you're being made a spectacle. If you come to faith as a, as a teenager, you come to faith as a young adult, and you come to faith, and you've been living around a bunch of people who are lost as a ball in high weeds. And, and like all of a sudden, your life changes. You say, you know what? i got to make a different choice. I can't do X, Y, and Z because God says those are not beneficial to his kingdom, nor his glory, nor my spirituality, nor my health. And I've got to say no to these things. God wants us to do that. And then when you became friends of those who were choosing godly things, those old friends, those old way of life says, Man, what's up with you? Why are you doing this? You know what's happened? Well, you know what that gives you opportunity to do? Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not curl up inside of a shell and ignore what God has done. But that's what happens many a times. I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I might hurt their feelings, whatever. Listen, in a world today, everybody's willing to hurt our feelings. Now listen, I'm not telling you to go out there and hurt their feelings on purpose, but let the Word of God speak truth and let the Word of God do what it does. We still speak it with gentleness and meekness and kindness and things of that nature. But even in that, boy, the people that don't agree with the Bible, they're going to fly off the handle and get absolutely crazy many a times. But you contain yourself. You know why? 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 Because, number one, if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what I think a lot of our generation today, and I have said for the past 20 years, Self-control is lacking. We've got to be people of self-control. We've got to be able to control ourselves. And look, he says all these things he's talking about. You know, you've got to be different. You've been different. And that's the reason why you went through these struggles. Now, listen, remember, we're going kind of back and forth. He's going back and forth with this, with this individual. He's telling about what happens to those that are apostate, who sin deliberately, who says, I'm not going to follow after him, do my own thing. And then he's talking to them. He says, all right, you recall the former days? And you remember this? You remember that? He's going back and forth. Because as we get to the end, we'll find out where they stand. Okay? This is kind of, kind of on edge, right? Kind of like a movie. Okay, we're, coming, we're building to the climax, all right? Verse 34, for you had compassion on me. He's given them some examples of what we were just talking about. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. I'm going to stop right there for just a minute. What we need to, we need to understand is this. The author is saying, you've come so far. You've come so far. Your earthly possessions are near worth the value of your heavenly possession. Your earthly possession, you've come to the realization, your earthly possession isn't near as valuable as your heavenly possession. 
And he says, you know this. You know that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. And that possession is salvation through Jesus Christ. And he says, because you know those things, therefore, do not cast away your confidence. And you can look back into verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness or confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, you have a better enduring possession. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, confidence which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. You have that need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise of God. You've done the will of God. What is the will of God? It's so that the kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. You've been doing the will of God. We need to be people who do the will of God and, and be faithful in doing the will of God. Let's look at verses 37 through 39 as we conclude with our scripture today. What is the promise? This is the promise. You may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we, here we are. Remember, I told you what the author said. He said, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, which means destruction or ruin. That is not us. But we are those who believe in to the saving of the soul. He's telling them there are those that are apostate. There are those who have heard but have not received. They have not believed. They have no passion for Jesus. There are those who have believed and they have received and they have suffered. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. And listen. We, we don't really understand suffering. Some, some of us have gone through suffering. Some of you have. I'm not going to say all of us have not. I've, I'm going to be honest. I haven't gone through a lot of suffering in my life. I have not. God has, I don't know why, but the Lord has chose fit for me not to see a lot of suffering in my life. Maybe it's to come in my future. I don't know. But some of you have seen suffering. You've sat by the side of a loved one who has suffered, and you've suffered with them. And it might not be suffering because of your faith. It's just suffering in faith. Because sometimes that comes. You suffer in faith. Sometimes you suffer because of your faith. I would say most of us in here have not suffered much because of our faith. But we have suffered in and through faith. Right? And I hope that you can withstand sufferings, trials, reproaches, and rebukes, and, and temptations in and through faith. He says this is the promise for yet a little while and he who is coming will come. Jesus makes the promise, I will return. He says that for the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That the just shall live by faith is quoted also in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11. The just shall live by faith. We are a people who should be living by faith. I quoted Ephesians 2.8 and 9 that our students quoted also during camp. About you have been saved for by grace, you have, by grace you have been saved through faith. I want to try to say it just like we learned it. And so we 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 understand that the just shall live by faith. But verse thirty nine, we are not those who draw back to destruction and ruin. And specifically in the Bible, that word perdition means uh, eternal destruction. We are not those who draw back to eternal destruction. 
but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And that saving is the preservation of the soul. We believe to the preservation of the soul. And our souls are preserved through the sealing of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That's how we are preserved. It's not through our works. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Him sealing us until the day of redemption. That's His work and we trust in Him. We must understand the vital importance of unwavering faith in the dire consequences of apostasy. We must know that true faith, as we see in Ephesians 2.8, will emerge in victory. Recall the beautiful hymn, Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. I pray today that you're exercising faith over exercising deliberate sin. Jesus is greater than our desire to sin. He is. But let us draw near to him. Let us hold fast to the confession that we have made. And let us consider one another to stir them up in love and good works not forsaking the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's exhort or encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching.